this is Amy Hall, and you're listening to the Hashtag STR Ask podcast, starring Greg Kokel. <laughs> Don't use that word. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I knew you wouldn't like that. Okay. Um, so, Greg, in the last episode, we talked about someone making a decision about how to live based on having a piece about something. Right, from Colossians. So today, I have a few questions about hearing the voice of God, and uh, this comes up every once in a while, but I thought I'd collect these three and we could talk about these sure. particular questions. And the first one comes from Ryan. And we have a show, a regular show coming up next week or something. Yeah. Yes. So next week at str.org, the two episodes of the regular podcast will be your talk on decision-making in the will of God. Mm-hmm. So I recommend, Good. it's good we bring this up now, if something comes up during the show where you think, Wait you know, minute. I don't understand this or you yeah. get upset or whatever it is, just know that uh, next week... You'll be able to hear on our regular show. Right. Uh, it's a two-parter. Yeah. It's Wednesday that, and Friday. That's me alone without Amos. Just you get just the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I recommend you listen to that. It is really good. I just re-listened to it, and Greg is a lot more information in those talks than you'll get today in twenty minutes. So, and plus, um, it's controversial, and so uh, you know, I'll. I'll touch base, answer these questions that we have here, but they're probably going to be a lot more questions people have, and this longer um, teaching on it is going to mm-hmm. fill in those those spaces, I think. And I'll mention, hopefully I won't forget, but I'll mention a few other things that uh, people can look at on our website when we okay. get to the end of this, because surely people will have questions. All right. This first one comes from Ryan Duffy. I've heard Greg Kokel talk about hearing God's voice. However, Jesus spoke about his sheep hearing and knowing his voice in John 10. How are we to know his voice then unless he speaks to us now? Well, that's um, an excellent question. I get asked that question a lot, and I always have two questions that I ask when anyone brings it up, okay? And interestingly, and I tip my hat to uh, Ryan, that uh, he answered the first question, because my first question is, where is that? Well, he identified it, John 10. That's unusual. Most people do not know where this is at. The second question is, um, what's going on in John 10? And I have virtually never had anyone who who offered the this concern or this concept or this issue out of uh, John 10 from Jesus' comments Explain to me what's going on in John 10. Now, I know the passage very intimately, and you mentioned we were going to recommend some material. We have um, a series of talks. Oh, no, we have a booklet, uh, mm-hmm. The Ambassador Guide to Hearing God's Voice. And I, it is taken from a series of solid grounds I did titled, Does God Whisper? And so either probably are available on our website, but I do go into depth on John chapter 10, where Jesus makes this comment. Let me just make an observation, though, just based on the small portion that that uh, Ryan made reference to. Can you read the question again, please, Amy, just so I can underscore something that Jesus spoke about his sheep hearing and knowing his voice. How are we to know his voice then unless he speaks to us now? Okay. What he says there is, my sheep hear my voice. He doesn't say, my sheep will learn to hear my voice, might hear my voice, if they have the right technique or the capability. He says, my sheep do hear my voice. 
All right. And this is why Henry Blackaby says, no, Blackaby's understanding of what that means is God giving messages to individual Christians that amount to directives for their lives. He calls them their assignments, okay? So what a person understands the phrase, hearing God's voice, to mean influences their application of the passage, and that's the way Blackaby understands it. But he understands that it's descriptive. In other words, if you are God's sheep, you will hear his voice in the sense that Blackaby understands it. But then, and the question, many Christians are going to say, well, I don't hear God's voice that way. And what is Blackaby's response? Well, then you're probably not God's sheep. Since it's an imperative, not an imperative, but a, a direct descriptive element of being a sheep that you do hear, if hearing means what he says, and you don't hear the way he says, Blackaby, then, and many others, by the way, then you must not be one of God's sheep. Now, this is devastating for a lot of Christians, okay? The key here is what Jesus means by hearing his voice. And the best thing to do is start in chapter 10, verse 1, and read all the way through to verse 42, because there is a very a particular thing going on there. And incidentally, I'm just going to say this right now. John records a number of occasions leading up to chapter 10 where he talks about people hearing God's voice. He talks about it in chapter 5, verse 25, chapter 5, verse 37, chapter 6, verse 45, chapter 8, verse 43, chapter 8, verse 47, and then one, two, three, four times in chapter 10, here, and also chapter 18, verse 37. So this is not like coming out of nowhere. There are all these other references to hearing God's voice. And when you read all those references and the context of John 10, you realize that something entirely different is going on here than what I suspect Ryan thinks is going on when he reads that that passage. And incidentally, this is the verse that is brought up very consistently with people who take exception with with my my point about everybody doesn't get to have a conversational relationship with God in the way these proponents characterize it. Conversational meaning two-way. Yes, we pray to God. That's our conversation with Him. But many writers say, well, we can expect then to hear back from God. Prayer is two-way. We pray to God, God talks to us. Conversation. New Testament, nowhere in the Bible is that ever taught. And in fact, when Jesus teaches on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, for example, he never suggests that we listen. There is no listening prayer anywhere in the Bible. Hundreds of verses referring to prayer, none make that point. But let's just stick with John 10. What's interesting here in verse 4, It says, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, these are the sheep, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And a stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, next line. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were which he had been saying to them. Okay, listen. 
when he spoke, he began speaking in John 10, did the people to whom he was speaking hear his voice? Of course they did, but he was speaking in a figure that they didn't understand. Now, a figure or metaphor or uh, or something like that, allegory, however, those are all different types of figures of speech, they never mean themselves. A figure is not a figure of itself. It's a figure of something else. So, hearing Jesus' voice is a figure of speech that refers to something else, okay? And in this... Um, uh, in this conversation, jump down to verse 16. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. There he's probably referring to Gentiles as opposed to the Jews with whom he's speaking. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. You know, it's interesting here as you read through this, there is no intimation that what Jesus is talking about is believers tuning in to the voice of Jesus, that is, some kind of communication device where they're getting propositional information to apply to their life. That's the way it's taken, hear his voice. But Jesus said, wait, this is a figure. That isn't what he's talking about. And the people to whom he's talking about, who he says in the context here, you don't hear my voice, can hear his voice of that sort, contentful information, propositional form, telling them particular things. There's something else he's referring to that's not happening. Okay, now I want you to look. I'm just going to jump ahead, because we don't have time to exegete the entire passage, to the second time he encounters the Jews. There are two encounters here where he uses this language. And then Jesus says, now, um, verse 25, Jesus answered, oh, the Jew says, like, tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Tell us plainly, are you the Christ? Jesus answered them, I told you, and you did not believe. So they heard his claim. They didn't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these testify to me. But you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. Do you see the parallelism? You do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. The parallelism is between the word believe in verse 26 and the word, the phrase hear my voice in verse 27. And here's what he says to finish that line, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. Notice the sequence. They hear, they respond, they receive eternal life. The Jews are not his sheep, so they don't hear, in the sense that Jesus is talking about. So what does he mean by hear his voice? He is talking about the effective work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of some people to draw them to a state of belief in him because they are already his sheep that the Father has given to him. Now, this has theological ramifications beyond what we're talking about, and people can struggle with those ramifications all they want. I'm just reading the words that are straightforward. Jesus is not talking about getting messages, Christians getting messages from him. He is talking in a figure of speech about non-Christians being being adequately persuaded by the Holy Spirit to put their faith in Jesus. And that's why they are called his sheep, and the ones who are not his sheep 
those Jews who are not believing in him, they don't hear that voice of the Holy Spirit, if you will, voice in quotes right now, because they are not his sheep. Now, this is very straightforward. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. To continue verse 28, my Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So you have this picture. It's a divine claim here. The Father's working. The Son is working. The Spirit apparently is working, not though not mentioned. But the Father has given sheep to Jesus who have the capacity to hear the particular thing that creates belief in them so that they follow him and get eternal life. And then they are saved and secured by the Father and the Son, out of who, both of whose hands can never be taken. So, I mean, I'm just reading the verses, and they're not complicated. There is no implication here that anything more is going on with regards to Jesus' voice than the effective calling of the Holy Spirit in the lives of those that the Father has given to the Son. That's it. Nothing more. It's a figure of speech identifying the work of the Holy Spirit. And read the whole chapter, you'll see mm-hmm. that's the case. I notice even in the question, it's it's somewhat question-begging, too, because the question is not whether we hear from God. The question is, where is God speaking? All right, we have we have the the Bible, and that is the words of God. And we we also recognize those words as being God's words. And that is how God is speaking to us. So it and this is one of the points, I think it's not that, you know, it's it's not that we never hear from God. We hear from God every time we open up this Bible. The Holy Spirit communicates things to us like comfort and uh, conviction. Yes, and test he testifies sin. that we're children of God. There's all sorts of things the Bible says that the Holy Spirit does, but but this is one thing I think people skip over and that is what does the Bible actually say about this topic? Mm-hmm. And that's what I really appreciate about your teaching is you actually go through all these passages and you look at how does God lead people? How does that happen? How is he involved in our decisions? Or even what does it mean for God to lead? And by the way, that's only two times in the New Testament, both by Paul, one in Romans 8, one in Galatians Mm -hmm. 5. And he does not mean what Christians mean when they say, I felt led by the Spirit to do thus and so. That is not what Paul is talking about. All you have to do is read the context. And you can see that he's talking about putting to death the deeds of the flesh or w- 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 walking in the Spirit and and fulfilling the demands of the law, depending which passage you're looking at, means something entirely different. And and by the way, the point I'm making here, I'm making an exegetical point, okay, right now. My sheep hear my voice. Jesus means something particular there. And mm-hmm. whatever it is that he means, and I explained what he means in the context, still happens today. They do hear his voice in the sense that he means it here, Mm -hmm. okay? But that isn't the way most people are thinking about it in their mind when they just think of this phrase or this sentence, my sheep hear my voice. They're thinking of it in the Henry Blackaby way, you know, and uh, or many others who, uh, by the way, I respect. So I'm making an exegetical point here. I am not saying that God can never communicate to any individual in a special way outside of the Scriptures, because God, I'm convinced God does that. What I'm up against here is a an evangelical um, received tradition 
that every believer has the right, and in fact, if they're spiritual enough and really have a good relationship with God, to hear Him specifically giving them individual personalized messages. This is not taught in Scripture. Mm -hmm. When God does intervene in the book of Acts to give special instruction, it is rare, and it is an intervention. It's not being sought, and it's supernatural. You have angels showing up. You have Jesus showing up. You have visions. You have, you know, Philip being spirited away after he you know, he talks with this Ethiopian eunuch, and he's he's got soul travel, you know, his body disappears and he goes somewhere else. These aren't the kinds of characterizations that we see people referring to when they talk about, well, God told me this, and God told me that, and God told me the other thing. The other thing that I'm not denying is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to enlighten Scripture to us, to also convict us of sin in our life, to give us insight into things, to help us in the gifts that He's given us. But these aren't things that you have to tune in to be able to learn to hear. Think of the way people often characterized it. Maybe these will be some of the other questions, but uh, but they, they say, well, God is trying to talk to you. Wait, say that again? God is trying? Really? God tries. Oh, he tried, but he failed? Is that the kind of God we worship? A God who does his best, gives it his best shot, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, well, bummer, it's up to us. No, God doesn't try. He's not a wannabe. He's a bee. I think what but behind a lot of these questions when people are concerned is they're afraid of losing a relationship with God. So they have it in their mind that it has to happen a certain way. So I'm really glad you brought up all those ways that that God does communicate to us and that he indicates he communicates to us in his word. And this is why we have to go back there to find out what to expect and what not to expect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think people just get it in their ideas that this is the only way that we can actually be close to God and I you know, learning to do these certain things to get messages. Um, and so anyway, there's so much more to say, but I want to go on to the next okay, one. So you can, okay. It's another passage. This one comes from C. Cooper. What would you say to someone who uses 1 Samuel 3 to show we have to learn to hear God's voice? I would say start in 1 Samuel 1, verse 1, read chapter 1, read chapter 2, and read chapter 3. Okay, now I'm going to go to chapter 3 right now because it was brought up. I know this passage very well, and it's so interesting that someone would bring this up. Again, it's an example, First Samuel 3. This is the call of Samuel, a little Samuel. Okay, little Samuel's a little guy, and he's the great prophet, obviously becomes a great prophet, but in this case, he's just a little guy who's, who's been dedicated by his mother uh, there to the temple service, and he's an errand boy, essentially, and a helper for um, for the, the the chief priest there, um, who is the father Hopney and Phineas. <laughs> uh, Eli. Yeah, Eli. Okay, Eli. So w- when we read through chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three, um, what we find out, and it's chapter three is the most important one because that gives the account. But what happens in chapter one and chapter two is we get background information. Now, here's the way First Samuel is is characterized. By the way, can you um, read? Is there a verse reference there in chapter three? It just is First Samuel three. There's no yeah. verse. Well, okay. So what we have here. This is the way the text is characterized by people who advance the passage. And so I would 
this is the question I would ask. It's a kind of what do you mean by that question? Explain to me what you think you see in First Samuel chapter three that seems to support this idea. Well, what you have is um, an older, uh, more godly Christian who ha- a believer in this case who has learned to hear the voice of God, who then instructs a younger believer in the means by which you can recognize the voice of God, because in this case, Samuel hears God, but he doesn't recognize God. And so um, Eli is the older mentor that helps him to recognize the voice of God. That's the narrative. Okay, here's the difficulty with the narrative. There's not a single item in that narrative that you can find in the text. First of all, Eli is not a godly man. Okay, Eli is living under a curse. The only time he's ever heard from God is when a prophet comes to his house, knocks on his door, and curses his family because of sin that he allows with his sons Eli and Phineas, who end up later dying. Um, so he's not a godly man, and he isn't in the habit of hearing the voice of God. Only once from a prophet. Okay. Secondly, it says in the text that Samuel, little Samuel was not a believer. It says it right in the text. He did not know the Lord. He's just a little kid or a young man or, you know, like maybe 8, 10, 12, I don't know, but he doesn't know the Lord. So you have no believers here in this dynamic, all right? Um, And then when God speaks to Samuel, Samuel speaks, hears him right away. He knows exactly what was said, but he doesn't know it's God because he's a kid who works for Eli, and he thinks Eli's calling him because he's the only person around. So he runs into Eli, and Eli doesn't have any insight into what's going on. He sends him back. This happens three times. And finally, Eli comes to his senses and says, okay, here's what you say. Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so then he speaks. He didn't teach him how to recognize the voice of God. It isn't like there's some there's a, a, a phenomenology of God's voice, so he doesn't sound like your buddies. He sounds like, you know, Charlton Heston or something like that. There's no phenomenology there that's—he just says, oh, okay, this is what's going on. And then after God speaks to Samuel, Eli says, tell me everything. This doesn't sound like a guy who's like on the inside who knows what's going on. No, tell me everything. And then it says at the end of the chapter, and I'll just read this last verse because this is important, it sums it up. Thus, Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail, or literally none fell to the ground. In other words, everything that Samuel said was going to take place became true. What is that a test of a true prophet? This isn't just some believer who's learning from an older believer about how to, you know, recognize the voice of God. None of that is in there. This is the inauguration of the great prophet of the Old Testament, Samuel, who is the one who anoints David as king and uh, delivers the Davidic promise to David. All Israel from Dan, even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was confirmed as a prophet of the Lord. This is unique. This is special. This is not a standard by which we are to follow as evidence that we can all learn to do what prof, what Samuel did 
It's, I mean, I'm chuckling a little bit. And he heard an actual bit. voice, too. It wasn't impressions. It wasn't anything like that. That's it was right. an actual voice, which is why he thought it was Eli. Exactly. This is why I'm saying there is not a single part of the narrative that is used to describe what is going on here in support of the idea that we can all learn to hear the voice of God that actually fits the historical circumstances, not a single part. And if you don't believe me, like I said, <clears throat> read First Samuel. You can read chapter 3, but you can find some other things out by reading chapter 1, verse 1, and all the way through chapter 3. Then you get the entire characterization of the account, and you'll see that nothing about it fits the narrative that often is used to describe what's happening there with Samuel. All right, Greg, we're over time, but I'm going to throw this last question in there. You can answer this briefly, because it's okay. it, it's coming from a little bit different direction. It's about how to respond to someone who mm-hmm. is saying these things, and I know that That can be tricky, but this comes from Worldview Cafe. The CEO said he saw full moon, then clouds formed and covered the moon. Clouds dissipated. He felt God speak, quote, I can turn nothing into something, something into nothing, turn this ministry into something, and if it goes thick and blocks Jesus, it has to diminish, end quote. How do I respond to this? Seriously? How would you respond? How should he respond to this? I would ignore it. Yeah. Think of all the things that were said. There's nothing that was said that's at leastwise controversial. Plus, nothing is said. There is no instructions given. The, the, there's just the implication that if something obstructs Jesus, then God is not going to bless it. But again, that's not even controversial. There, there is no directives that are given. So it, it's not helpful to go after people every single time they say, the Lord told me this, that, and the other thing. Now, when the thing that allegedly is being heard, and, and keep in mind that I, I'm convinced that God can speak and does speak in circumstances today. It's extremely rare, and it isn't the birthright of every born-again Christian, which is the way this view is being characterized. It happened in the book of Acts. It happened in the Old Testament. Very rarely, with very particular people under very special circumstances, and almost never was anything like what people are describing God speaking to them, so-called, now, today. Nevertheless, that's possible. So, but notice that, I, I mean, I, look, I was raised in a Pentecostal, as a Christian, a Pentecostal environment, and uh, I heard tongues and prophecies. I have, I have no conviction I ever heard the real McCoy. And people who are in those environments, they know what I'm talking about. You hear, thus saith the Lord, and then it's just a bunch of stuff that, even if it were true, is somewhat inconsequential. Generally, it's true statements about God. I shall be praised. I will be worshipped by my people. Raise your hands. Praise me. Praise me. And I will be glorified. Oh, okay. Thus saith the Lord. Okay. Well, you can't take exception with that. There's nothing controversial about it. Praise the Lord. However, a claim is being made that the individual is speaking for God. And to me, that is a different category, you know. And when people make those claims that they are speaking for God, or God or Jesus is speaking through them. This is, for example, uh, what's her name? Sarah. What's her name? In, uh, Sarah Jesus. Young. Yeah, Jesus Calling. I, I have serious problems with that, especially the first book that was written and uh, the introduction. It tells how she got all this information. And, of course, that's been removed because it's occultic. And, uh, and I'm not putting her—I'm not saying, you know— 
I'm not making any judgments on her personally or her convictions. I'm saying that this stuff is dangerous. And when people make the claim that they are speaking Jesus' words, that that's a huge deal. And uh, and we ought to be very, very careful about that. Now, um, uh, <laughs> there was a, there was a, there was a pastor's wife in my community who wrote a letter from Jesus to a bunch of her friends or her women's Bible study or whatever. And uh, and then so she read it. This is what Jesus said to me. And then she's speaking first person for Jesus. Well, this wasn't Jesus. One of the lines was, you think you're excited about my second coming? I'm even more excited than you are. Anybody who reads the Gospels know Jesus doesn't talk like that. Okay, first off. Secondly, why should anyone believe, and this is the question that should have been asked, why should we believe that what you just gave us came from Jesus? Well, because I really feel it. I really believe it. That's not a good enough reason. It should have been ignored. But the reason nobody asked that question, as far as I know, people came to me with the letter, but nobody went back to her. It's because she was the pastor's wife. And so that gave her at least the feeling of authority when she had no authority to speak for Jesus. The pastor doesn't have any authority to speak for Jesus like that, unless he can demonstrate why people ought to believe that he has the authority to speak this way for Jesus. In Samuel's case, everything that he said came to pass. None of it fell to the ground. Thus, he was confirmed as a prophet of God. Okay, that's the guideline that God has given us in his word, and those are the guidelines we should be using. So just to reiterate, you're not saying that God never speaks to someone. You're saying that it's not something we have to learn how to do. It's not like a technique that we need to learn. That's when, right. When God speaks, we hear him. That's right. Every case in the, in the scriptures when mm-hmm. God spoke, the person to whom God was speaking heard. You know, even the, even the donkey got it right. You know, so you, you um, that's one thing I'm saying that you don't, God, God doesn't try, and this is not a skill you have to learn. The second thing I'm saying is that this is not the birthright of every Christian, and those who communicate that it is are just flat out wrong. I've gone through all of their verses, and we, I do in the thing, we, they, the verses that are used as proof texts turn out to be much like the Samuel passage. When you read it in context, it doesn't make that point period. End of issue. Now, can God do whatever He wants? Absolutely. We cannot teach whatever we want. If we're going to teach from the Word, we have to teach what the Word says and not something else. All right, so if you have questions out there, um, Does God Whisper? Parts 1, 2, and 3 are on our website at str.org, or you can go to our store, and it's called The Ambassador's Guide to the Voice of God. Or next week, just come to str.org and listen to our regular podcast. And we have two one-hour segments yeah. uh, on this whole topic. And, and, uh, and if you're really mad at me, you can do all three. <laughs> because honestly, sometimes it takes a little while and understand the resistance for the reasons that you expressed earlier, Amy. Uh, it takes a while for this all to sink in. And I've had people that first time through really mad at me, second time through still really mad at me. Third time through, not so mad. Fourth time through, beginning to think about what the Scripture actually said. Fifth or sixth time through, convinced of what the Scripture teaches regarding this Mm -hmm. issue. Well, thank you, Ryan and C. Cooper and Worldview Cafe. We appreciate hearing from you. Send us us your question on str.org or through Twitter with the hashtag STRask. This is Amy Hall and Greg Kokel for Stand to Reason.